0: The podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message.
1: Good morning. My name is Aaron Elliott. I'm excited to be with you today in Berkeley. Today's New Testament reading comes with Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 through 14. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest when jesus entered jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked who is this the crowd answered this is jesus the prophet from nazareth in galilee jesus entered the temple area and drove out all Who were buying and selling there he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves it is written he said to them my house will be called the house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them sometimes
0: i feel like a mother
2: David Orsman. I'm a member of the Epworth community and I'm privileged to be able to share with you this Sunday morning. I'm thinking this Fourth of July weekend about the relationship of church and state, the relationship between faith and empire. 244 years ago, our founders signed the Declaration of Independence It states the ideals on which America was born. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On the one hand, these are the ultimate American values. But on the other hand, they have yet to be fully realized. Systemic racism has infected America from our beginning. And the murder of George Floyd has been just yet another episode in what seems like an endless series of crimes against African-American citizens. Americans are now standing up in protest and calling for transformation. Perhaps we have turned a corner. Perhaps, as Michael Martin said several weeks ago, there is now reason to find hope. But there's something else that's been troubling me these past few weeks, a violation of another self-evident truth in the Declaration of Independence. The line that reads, governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. This is the whole basis of American democracy, and I would argue that that when the people exercise their First Amendment rights and petition the government for a redress of our grievances, it is the sacred responsibility of our leaders to listen to the voice of the people. It may not be a legal obligation, but I believe our leaders have a moral obligation to listen to us, to hear our concerns, to engage with what we're saying. They don't necessarily have to agree with us, but I think there's an obligation to listen and to dialogue. This doesn't always happen, and perhaps it's it rarely happens. It didn't happen in the 1960s. and. And it it hasn't happened in 2020, at least with this president. Some leaders have listened, but our president seems to have closed his ears. He has responded with insults. He has referred to protesters as anarchists, agitators, looters, and lowlifes. And this is a direct quote. I don't care what your politics are. But whether you call people deplorables or call them lowlifes, this is no way for American leaders to talk about American citizens. But even more than what he he said, I am troubled by what he did. I found myself at first unable to put my finger on exactly why I was feeling so upset. So my spiritual practice when I'm in this kind of space is journaling, to start writing. And as I wrote and as the words went through my fingers and onto the screen of my computer, my thoughts and feelings began nucleating around a surprising point. Matthew's Palm Sunday story of all things. So I'm well aware. Palm Sunday was three months ago. But please bear with me because by the time I get to the end of the story, I think you'll understand how this story has become very helpful to me in sorting out my feelings. And hopefully it will for you as well. So Palm Sunday, it was the first day of the final week of Jesus' life. And it was also the beginning of the Passover. Passover was a holiday that celebrated freedom. It was a holiday that celebrated God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt when they were slaves there. And so it was a time when the apocalyptic expectations of the people grew intense. Because Israel in Jesus' time was under Roman occupation. Many people considered that occupation to be a travesty. The reasoning went is if God is all-powerful and if God is just, How long will will God tolerate this? How long will God allow this to keep going on? And so apocalypticism was the expectation that God was going to act at any time by sending his Messiah who would overthrow the empire and restore God's rule. So it was at the Passover with all these passions burning in people's hearts that Jesus chooses to come to Jerusalem. In the midst of this volatile situation. You know the story. He rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He's acting out what some thought to be a messianic prophecy and Matthew even quotes the verse from Zechariah that he thought Jesus was fulfilling. Jesus rides into the city and and the crowds lay palm branches on the road ahead of him, a literal green carpet. And in Matthew, they use these words to greet him, Hosanna to the Son of David. Son of David is an explicitly messianic title. So the Palm Sunday crowd is literally welcoming their Messiah. This was a very public event. And so you can be sure that people in high places were paying attention. They knew what was going on. Well, notice what happens next, another detail that's unique to Matthew. Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he goes straight to the temple, and then he overturns the tables of the money changers. It didn't happen this way in Mark. In Mark's Gospel, he overturns the tables the next day. It didn't happen this way in Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus never overturns the tables. But in Matthew we have this one continuous sweep of action. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, he enters the temple courtyard, he drives out the buyers and the sellers, and he overturns the tables of the money changers. Why? Why? Why does he have a problem with the money changers? Because for Jesus it was vivid evidence of the collaboration of the temple with the evil-hated empire. Remember the time when Jesus, later on that week, was asked in the temple, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? He says, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. And he says, whose face is on this coin? They say, Caesar's face. So Jesus says, well then, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Jesus is implying that it's perfectly okay to use Roman coins for secular purposes, for paying taxes or or buying stuff. But to use a coin with Caesar's face to buy a dove to sacrifice on the altar of the holy temple would profane that sacrifice. It would make it unclean. And so, to get around this problem, the temple and the empire made this ingenious accommodation. They minted special temple coins, and they provided money changers to to change currency, so that if you went to the temple to make a sacrifice, you took your Roman coins, you gave them to a money changer who gave you temple coins in, in, in exchange, you used the temple coins to purchase a dove for your sacrifice, and that made it all kosher. At least in the minds of some. But to the minds of those who saw the Roman occupation as a travesty, it was nothing but a legal fiction. It was nothing but a cover-up of an unholy alliance with empire. So this is what Palm Sunday is about in Matthew. It's about overturning the tables. It's about this revolutionary act of justice and protest. It's about this dramatic prophetic statement. This is what Jesus does on Palm Sunday. And this is what seals his fate. Let me put this in an even larger context. This conflict between Jesus and empire has been going on in the Gospel of Matthew since Jesus' birth. The empire has targeted Jesus since his birth. Remember Matthew's story of the Epiphany? When King Herod hears that a child had been born King of the Jews, or Messiah in other words, he sends out his soldiers to find the baby and put the baby to death. Jesus escaped for the time. But now the time has come, and in this one kairotic moment on Palm Sunday, when Jesus overturns the tables, he seals his fate. Now one more interesting detail that's unique to Matthew's story. After overturning the tables, after driving out the buyers and the sellers, it says, The blind and the lame come to Jesus in the temple, and he heals them. In other words, not not only did Jesus cleanse the temple by driving out the money changers, but he also reclaimed the temple as holy ground, a place where the lame can walk again and the blind can see again, which to Matthew are signs that the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what happens next? With apologies to George Lucas, the empire strikes back. The empire strikes back. By the end of the week, Jesus will have been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, put on trial before Pontius Pilate, convicted of sedition against Rome, sentenced to death, nailed onto a cross, and left hanging on that cross until the breath left his body, and he died. And after the empire took care of their nasty business, the money changers came back, and the accommodation between temple and empire resumed. The empire strikes back, but think about it. The empire has never stopped striking back. It's in the very nature of empire to lust after wealth and control, to do whatever is needed to do to hold on to that control, no matter the cost in human lives and human dignity. The empire strikes back. The date, Monday afternoon, June the 1st, 2020 place, the courtyard in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. There in that courtyard, there on that holy ground, on that holy day, the church was being the church. The church was doing ministry. The church was witnessing for justice. The church was caring for people, distributing bottles of water, passing out granola bars, offering first aid, healing, if any had need. Episcopal priests and Episcopal laity were doing ministry in the courtyard, on the holy ground of their Episcopal church. And the empire strikes back. Police in full riot gear enter Lafayette Square, riding horses into the crowd pushing the people out of their park, spraying tear gas, firing rubber bullets, intimidating with a dominating show of force, loud, noisy helicopters hovering right over the heads of the crowd. And the police, in full riot gear, clear the plaza in front of St. John's Church, driving the clergy and the laity away from the courtyard of their own church. And when the courtyard had been cleared, the Emperor himself marched onto the scene. Guarded by a phalanx of armed personnel to protect him from the crowd that was no longer there, he head straight to the church's courtyard. He is handed a holy Bible, and he lifts it above his head, a photograph is taken, the photo op is concluded, and he leaves the church. He departs the public square and retreats behind the gates of his heavily armed fortress. This is the event that upset me so profoundly to the extent that I couldn't fully comprehend what was making me so angry. Well, now I think I understand. It was a travesty. It was Palm Sunday in reverse. It was the Empire striking back, deaf to the witness of the people who seek justice and love kindness blind to the self-evident truths on which America is built, that all men and women are created equal. All men and women, no matter their race or creed, all men and women, no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation or class, all human beings are children of God, endowed by their creator with the same inalienable rights to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness, to the freedom to live our lives in peace and security, to the right to be heard, to the right to be respected. May God have mercy.
0: Have a great week.